Good, mor Good morning, Highland. Um, hear the word of the Lord from Luke 4, 1 through 4. Please stand. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. Uh, as Ashley said, uh, whether you're in the room or you're online, it's good to have you with us. We're glad you're here. My name is Shane Hughes. I'm also one of the ministers here. And we're in this season of, of Feast Fast and uh, this, this time of Lent, this, this period where we're focusing on what does God give us? And I gave you the spoiler alert last week. I just want to remind you what it is this week. The key is Jesus. Right? It doesn't matter if you're living on the, and I can't ever say this word right, right, charcuterie, the board. It doesn't matter if you've got the board in front of you or it's a different experience. The abundance is not in the feast or the fast. The abundance is in the presence of Jesus. And the good news of those of us who believe in God is that Jesus is with us always. Uh, I want to take one idea. This sermon is going to be upside down. I want to flip it today. So what I want to do is I want to give you the conclusions right now, and then I want to show you how it fits out into the text. So the sermon is just going to be backwards uh, today. Uh, one of the key insights that I, uh, has really stuck with me from our time doing the discernment about uh, uh, women, female leadership here at Highland is one statement one of our elders made. And he said, if we get Jesus right, we will get women right. And this is true. If we get Jesus right, we're going to get people right. But I want to expand that because it's true about people, it's true about leadership, but it's true about much, much more. But also, if we get Jesus in the center, then everything else is going to fall into place. If we get Jesus right, then we're going to get the rest of our lives right. And if that's true, then our focus, our priority, is to seek the clarity of what God is doing in this world. Because God is for us. God is not against us. God is not out to get us. God is out to bless us. God is out to teach us. God is out to train us. If God is for us, then God is for healthy human flourishing. So it does not matter if you're living in that season of feast or you're living in that season of fast. If you have Jesus, if we get Jesus right, everything else is going to be added unto us. Let's pray, please. Father, as Jeff led us in that beautiful hymn this morning, eerie and haunting words, we are reminded of your presence. And in our lives, in our day-to-day, -day, in the, the safety and the flourishing that we experience, we are grateful and thank you. But, Father, we're also mindful of those who are in harm's way, for whom danger and evil crouches at the door. And Father, we pray not only your presence with us, but more importantly, your presence with them. Please work in this world 
and the leaders and the powers to create peace. Father, we pray that your kingdom come and your will will be done, not just in our hearts, but over the entire globe. So we pray for those who are hungry, for those who are afraid, for those who desperately are seeking justice and righteousness, for those who need your love. And Father, we pray now as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, that you would pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. So what we've asked you to do in, in uh, the Feast Fast, that Linden resource, the journal that you can do, is choose some spiritual disciplines each week. And we've kind of designed these disciplines in a particular way. Last week, one of the things we offered was, hey, buy somebody else's meal. Do something unexpectedly good for a stranger. And we were, we were reminded of the story of Jesus at the wedding of Cana, where he wasn't the bridegroom. He's not responsible for any of this. His mother says, you know, just do what Jesus tells you to do. And he creates this miracle. He creates more abundance of wine than anybody could possibly drink at the wedding. And so we challenged you, do the same thing. Create behind you a wake of goodness by doing something kind to someone you don't need. Enjoy a dessert, right? That's a spiritual discipline I think we all could get behind. Enjoy something that tastes good. Engage. Well, this week, we're going to move back to the fast side of this conversation about disengaging disciplines. And so what we want you to do is engage, engage in disciplines, not that, that puts you in the path of, of others, but that take you away from the path. Because it's important to find balance. Now, some disciplines are going to be better for you than others. That's just the way it is. Some disciplines put you in a posture more than others that allows you to hear the, work of, work, hear the voice of God and allows you to experience the work of God in your heart. And sometimes, for some of us, that's quiet and silence. For others, that's prayer. For others, it's works of service. For others, it's times of worship where you can just let everything grow. For others, it's solitude and stillness. And what we want you to do this, this season of Lent is to experience both those engaging disciplines <coughs> and those disengaging disciplines and learn the truth that it doesn't matter whether you're engaging or disengaging. It doesn't matter if you're living in the fast or the feast that God's presence is all you need. But this week, this story is about a fast. It's a 40-day fast. In fact, uh, this story is recorded in all the synoptic gospels. It's, it's important. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all want to tell you the same story about the temptation of Jesus and, and how it came about. And to tell you that, I want to tell you kind of three little parables. I'm going to interpret one. Others, I'm just going to let stand. It was back like, oh, maybe 10 years ago that uh, a member at the church I was at at the time called me and said, hey, I'd like to talk. Can I, can I meet you? And so we went to Buffalo Wild Wings. And uh, we were sitting down there eating wings, watching uh, all sorts of sports, and, and he was telling me about his life, and, and Chris was a Marine before he came to California. And I asked him, what was your experience like as a Marine? I'd never met a former Marine before that was willing to 
in to talk about their experience. And, and he had been in, in the service for about eight years, and then his, his knees uh, went out on him, and he had to stop. He would have continued longer. And we talked about what it was like and what, how our movie's accurate or not, but, but we, he was telling me just kind of about his life, and he became a very close friend, Chris did. And we, we talked about uh, all sorts of things that we had in common. And I was just at that time beginning to learn how to run. Now, before I met Chris, I'm going to be honest with you, I would drive in the car and I would see somebody running. And in my mind, I would say to myself, ugh, I hate running. That looks awful. Why would anybody want to run when you can drive in a perfectly good car? That's just what my mind said. You know, what are they running from exactly? I would mock them in my head until Chris began to teach me to run. And, and so for the first, like, five or six weeks of me, for the first time in my life, really, learning how to use my body in this way, I was experiencing all sorts of things that I'd never experienced before, and Chris was my guide. And he walked me through this process, and he taught me about how to keep going. And it was one time when we were there at Buffalo Wild Wings, that became kind of like our spot. And I was, I was telling him, yeah, you know, I, was, I hit this barrier and I hit this barrier every time. My body just can't go faster or farther than this mark. And he looks me dead in the eye and he says, Shane, your mind will give out way before your body does. He said, your spirit's going to give up before your body does. He says, have you ever run till you threw up? I said, no. He says, well, then you haven't run until your body has given out yet. And so I tried it. I tried to run until I could throw up. I never ever got there. I still haven't got there. But then he told me, even when your body throws up, that's not your body giving out. That's your body just saying, we're real serious about this running thing today, and we're going to need to make an adjustment. Your mind will give out before your body does. My mind tells me I should stop before my body actually needs to stop. There's a difference between self-control and willpower. Willpower is a finite resource that exists um, in your body. It's part of your system, and it has a lot to do with blood sugar and how well you slept that night. There have been studies that have proven this. They've asked, uh, you know, two groups. They did a test. One group was asked to fast for a while. The other group was allowed to eat, and then they, they came them in, and they gave them some sugary snacks, and they said, you can eat these or you cannot. It doesn't matter, and the people that were fasting ate them. The people that were regularly fed, they ate them as well, and then they gave them an impossible geometry problem to solve a problem that's unsolvable. The people that were fasting and, and broke their fast gave up on their willpower. They tried about eight minutes to solve it and they gave out. The other people that had, had blood sugar that was healthy and normal and also ate a little bit of sugar, they worked on it for like 22 minutes. The willpower was not a matter of their intelligence. It wasn't a matter of their character. It was a matter of their sugar. And willpower runs out. Self-control is different. Self-control is the fruit that is a byproduct of the Spirit in your life. And you've probably been in that moment, I've been in that moment, where it feels like your patience is running thin. In my family, it's because one of us refuses to put pants on. Nine times out of ten, that's the problem. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, when my patience runs out, I can feel it happening. And in that moment, I have a choice. 
Because my patience is not a product of my blood sugar. My patience is a product of the Spirit. And the more time I spend living in the Spirit, listening to what God says, engaging in those practices that bring me to the posture where God can shape me, the longer that lasts. Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. I had lunch uh, a while back, and it was with Royce and Pam Money, who are members here. And if you don't know this, Royce is about one of the most clever and hilarious people you've ever met. And, and Pam is a very, um, probably not just a close second. She's smarter. I'll just say it. And, um, and, and it was delightful to have that conversation. It was a life group and they invited Natalie and I to it. And we were, I was sitting there and I was enjoying listening to, these, to this couple talk to each other and engage me. It was, it was this wonderful experience. And so I went to Brad Crisp, who's uh, their son-in-law. And I said, I just had the most wonderful lunch with your in-laws. And they were funny. And I, was, I said, you know, I hope when I'm their age, I, I, I have that same kind of wit and wherewithal. I hope, I hope I can be like Royce and Pam. And Brad looks me dead in the eyes and he says, yes, but you kind of have to be that now if you want to get there. <laughs> if those who have ears to hear, let them hear. The same thing happened to me this morning. I wasn't planning to tell this story. Uh, but the greatest part of my Sunday morning is, is about 8.30. Uh, our elders have started this habit of praying for me before the services. It is a place where my mind becomes grounded. Everything kind of settles into place in this moment when they pray for me. It's a wonderful experience. And, and today, um, uh, the men that were there praying for me, and one of them said, well, you know, I, I wrote it out. I didn't want to say something stupid, so I wrote it out. And I couldn't help myself. Brad's voice was in my head. And I said, what makes you think writing it out makes it less stupid? <laughs> Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. <laughs> Self-control, that fruit of the Spirit, it provides clarity. Self-control provides clarity. It's the same with vision. That's what we've said about our church. A vision allows us to say no to the good so that we can say yes to the great as we are embracing God's kingdom around us, to know what's ours to do. Self-control provides clarity for you so that you don't just take the first thing that comes your way. I experienced this yesterday. Um, I took my boys to Bahama Bucks, which is like a uh, a, like kind of a snow cone place. It's a really fancy snow cone place. And uh, it has probably 75 different flavors that you can choose from. And, and my boys don't read great yet. And so I was reading them, you know, the flavors. And it started with something like apple because it began with A. And my, my middle son said, yep, that one. And I said, wait a minute. There's 74 more flavors. Don't you want to hear what they are? And no, nope, he didn't care. Apple was it. First one was good enough. Without the clarity of knowing what you want, you're just going to take the first thing that comes along. A life of discipline where you know that your mind is going to give out before your body does. A life of clarity where you know what your end goal needs to be. You know where you want to be when you're 70 and so you work to get there. 
a life that is in step with the Spirit, and so you're blessed with the gifts of self-control, which allows you to have clarity, helps us know what's ours to carry and how to do it. You could say that practice makes perfect, but the reality is that practice makes habit. It doesn't matter how many times you practice your golf swing. If you've got a hitch in your elbow, it's not going to come out by not removing the hitch in your elbow. All you're going to do is ingrain in your mind the wrong way to swing a golf club. Habit creates neural ruts in your brain, for, to use that metaphor. It creates these pathways that make it easier to do the same thing over and over and over again. Which is why you should just get up and go to the gym if that's what you want to do, that discipline that you want to create. It's why you should just get up and begin to read your Bible if that's the discipline that you want to break or to create. It's why you should just go ahead and, and do the thing that you want to do every day and just do it. Don't think about it, just do it. And if you're feeling great, do it. And if you're feeling lousy, do it. Because what'll happen is it'll come to that moment, and I experienced this just a little bit ago, where I got in my car and I began to drive at the beginning of the day, and I just drove to the gym on accident. I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing, but that neural habit had formed in my head, and then I was just there. I didn't even make the conscious choice to do the right thing. It just happened because that was my habit. And that's true whether you're doing the thing you want to do or the thing you don't want to do. The discipline of self-control teaches what's ours to carry, and it teaches us how to do it. So let's turn our minds to Luke chapter 4. Remember, this sermon's upside down. In this moment, Jesus reenacts the exodus. It's this beautiful thing. His his baptism is in chapter 3, as Jesus goes through the water the way the Hebrews went through the Red Sea. And then there's these 40 days of wandering in Acts chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 4, which is like the 40 years of wandering that the Israelites experienced in the desert. Or maybe it's the 40 days that Moses was up on the mountain. And Jesus returns to begin his ministry. Now, Luke is not like Matthew. In Matthew, it's very clear that the, 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 the accuser does not appear until the end of that 40 days. But in Luke, uh, the, the accuser, the tempter is there the entire time, needling him and wrestling with him. And those of us that have experienced fasting, we know how that's a reality. Because I'm good to fast one meal. The second meal gets really hard. And by the third meal, I'm ready to give up. And it's not because my body needs nutrients. It's not because I'm in desperate need of, of, of something to eat. My body can live for three or four days, let's be honest, with this gut, probably five or six days um, without any food. And I would be fine if I was drinking water or tea or a bone broth. I would be fine. But my mind thinks I need the food. And it's usually by like the third meal or maybe the fourth that I'm just ready to give it up and throw it away because it's too hard. But if you can get past that moment, your brain begins to realize something new. Huh, I'm okay. The tempter has been with Jesus the entire 40 days. And then at the end of the 40 days, the scripture says he is famished. And Jesus is tempted in three ways. Will he turn st- uh, stones into bread because he's hungry? Will he do signs and wonders for the people? Will he accept Satan's reign so that he can spread his message? 
Another way to think about these three temptations. Will his ministry be populous? Is it about providing bread for those that need it? Will it be political? Will Jesus submit himself to the ruler of this world to achieve good? Or will it be religious? Will Jesus coerce the faithful through an overwhelming demonstration of power? And I got to be honest with you, for those in the world who are hungry, turning stones into bread sounds like a pretty good deal. And for those of us that live with doubt and desire just to know, is this real or not, seeing an undeniable sign of Jesus' power that he really truly is God, that sounds like a pretty big deal. And those of us that long for, for, for righteousness, to hunger and thirst, to see the good in the world, the idea of compromising a few things just so that we can get Jesus' message out there to others, even if it means we have to kind of hook, hook ourselves to some other political party or ruler or organization just so we can achieve the good, it sounds like a reasonable sacrifice. N.T. Wright says that temptation is an indicator of potential. That the greater your temptation, the greater the scope of possibility. And in my own experience, uh, every temptation I've ever faced, there was always this option to choose the good. And nine times out of ten, the, 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 the temptation that I experience is not the decision to do good versus evil or, or love versus harm. It's trying to discern between lesser good and greater good. The lesser benefit of, of, of allowing a, nights of, a moment of peace and my kids don't have to brush their teeth versus the greater good of instilling them a habit that will serve them for the rest of their life. The lesser good of just going ahead and eating that sugar that I don't really quite need, uh, but it, it'll make me feel good for the next uh, maybe 15 minutes versus the greater good of long-term health. The lesser good of sleeping in on daylight savings time and catching that extra hour that was denied to you, even though somehow my children know daylight savings time already. They should have woke up at 6.30. They woke up at 5.30 this morning. I have no idea why that happened. Versus coming and showing up to the assembly. Thank you for being here today. I, I acknowledge that hour of sleep is a huge sacrifice, and I'm glad you're here. Most of the time, we're not wrestling of good versus evil. We're wrestling with good versus great. And the only way to discern that is through clarity. The clarity that self-control provides. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8. I want to read that for you. Therefore, keep the commandments of your Lord. That's not it. Excuse me, 8, beginning in verse 2. Remember the long way that the Lord God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you uh, uh, to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by the word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And when Jesus quotes this to refute the tempter, he's, he's quoting his experience. He's quoting the fact that it's not food that gives us abundance. Jesus chooses at the beginning of his ministry to take the path of to become, to be, to embody, to embrace 
what it means to be God's son. It won't be popular, although there will always be crowds of thousands, and he will be sought after by the wise and the desperate alike. It won't be political, although Jesus will show incredible savvy and skill in navigating the climate of his time. And it won't be a show, although his miracles will stun us all. Jesus instead takes the path of service, the path of humility, the path of learning the correct method of engagement and disengagement with the people around him as he knows what it means to be God's son. May we be blessed with the same wisdom as we live our lives. Would you stand for our benediction? This week, as you engage these disciplines that help you disengage uh, from the habits of your, of, your, of your week, may you learn what it means to not live by bread alone, but by, by the word of God. Go in peace.